Welcome to the F Word Conversations on Faith. I am your host, Matt Miofsky. It's good to have you back, and I want to welcome John Carney. John, how are you? I am very well, and let me just give a little shout-out. I had bass player is fantastic. <laughs> it's a great tune, isn't it? Do you get the question of, hey, that was a really good message, Pastor Matt, but what was that theme song? I get the most random comments about things that I preach. In fact, uh, people will sometimes say, you know, it, you preached the most meaningful message a couple weeks ago, and they'll share what it is they got out of it, and I have no idea that that that's what I said, or I have no clue how they how they drew that from what I said. So you, you never quite know. Uh, but yeah, oh yeah, that happens all the time where, you know, people will sit there and say, that was incredible, but, uh, you know, they loved some random thing about the service. So get yes. out a message and they say, are those Johnson Murphy's you were wearing at the service? All the time. I love yeah. those shoes. You had a wire sticking out from your mic and it was distracting <laughs> me the whole time. Uh, I, I have to just ask you, you know, Carnival, you, you have another one under your belt. This year was a home edition 2021, but people may not know this, but you have a Carney's kids charity and uh, you had a big weekend. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, we haven't added up all the numbers yet, but I think we did pretty good. And uh, the people didn't come out in droves. They stayed home in droves, but they participated. Big auction, great comics. Uh, You've been a couple of times. I think people were upset that I was not in a costume this year, but next year I'll, I'll make it up. But it was great fun. And if you are interested in finding out about other stuff we're doing and all the kids' charities that we serve, carneyskids.org, there's the plug. Now we can go back to your show. That sounds good. Yeah. Well, it's it's an awesome uh, work that you do each year and also a bunch of fun. So if people don't know about it, now they know about it for next year. But yeah, Thanks, so buddy. today we're talking about in a little bit people who've been hurt by the church. But first, we're going to open up the, the emails because we have more questions. By the way, thank you to all of you who are participating and asking questions. You can do it. You can find me on Twitter. A lot of people are just finding me on Twitter or, or my public Facebook page. You can just search Matt Miofsky, either one. Uh, you can hit me there with questions and I will ask them uh, or John will ask them and I'll try to answer them. You can also email us at the F word at gatheringnow.org. That's just the F word at gatheringnow.org. So we want to know that you're listening and send us your questions. But John, what do we have this week? All right. I got a big bag of mail. Let's go through it. And very thought provoking stuff. Once again, Rachel first up. And cuts right to the chase. What does a sign from God look like? Are are they a thing? And how do we know them when we see them? As opposed to just maybe a coincidence or <laughs> something that we imagine to be more than normal. Yeah. Yeah. It's This is a tough one because I do believe in, in signs from God. I think we have in Scripture so much evidence of God intervening in the world in all sorts of ways. And I believe that I I believe in a God that intervenes in our world and in our life. And that intervention can look all sorts of different ways in scripture. It can be something big and uh, something that gets your attention. I I think burning bush with Moses. I mean, that would be interesting walking by a bush that's burning, but not being consumed. So sometimes it's that sometimes in scripture, it, it's something almost imperceptible, a, a still small voice, a nudge, a sense that you're supposed to do something. So I do believe in 
signs from God. I think these signs can look a lot of different ways in our life. They can be big and flashy, meant to get our attention. They can be small and subtle. In fact, oftentimes I think they are that. They can come in, you know, personal, private moments. They can also come through the words of friends or people around us. So, I yes, I believe in signs from God. Here's the how, does her, how about the second part of her question? How do we know that that's what it is yeah. when we see it? So this is the it. tricky part because I, I talk to a lot of people who are constantly interpreting signs from God all around them. And we have to be careful because sometimes we we can, uh, we call this, this is a fancy Greek word, eisegesis. We can interpret into the things around us the stuff that we want to to receive. So let's sure. imagine we're waiting, you know, I really want to buy that new car. I don't know if I should. I'm, and then we take anything we see as a sign. Oh, I saw that car drive by. I'm meant to go get that car or something like that. And so we're, we're constantly uh, battling between what, what's a sign from God and what's just our own desires that we're sort of uh, extrapolating out into the world or projecting out into the world. And I, I'm going to really quickly, I've, I've actually preached a whole series about this. So I think what we have to do is we really have to test these signs before you just jump headlong into saying, that's a sign. I'm going to go and do this. We really have to test them. In fact, scripture says this in first John, I think it's chapter four. It says, you know, don't believe every spirit or every sign that comes your way. You have to test these things. And so really quickly, John, here is my matrix. Here's four questions I ask before I say that must be a sign from God. First, like, is it scriptural? Is is what they're, what this sign is urging me to do something that actually aligns with scripture? Um, spend some time praying about it. If I pray and sit with it, oftentimes a sign from God will repeat. You see a pattern. It's not just a one-time thing. Does it continue to feel right after initially seeing it? What are your, what do people close to you say? People who love you and love God. If you tell them, Hey, I think I'm experiencing the sign that's telling me to do this or that. What do they say to you? And the last thing is if you followed this nudge or this sign, what would it produce in your life? Is this something that's going to be good for you and for the world or bad for you and for the world? And I kind of run it through that filter. And I think it's uh, it's helpful to do that because it, if any of those are negative, like, you know, it's not scriptural, it's not going to be good for me. You know, I always say if, if one of them's a, a negative, you got to be careful. If two of them are negative, that's really kind of a red light. You need to, uh, this could be really you and not God. So a little bit of a longer answer, but that's my filter. Is it scriptural? What does my prayer life say about it? What do friends and family who love me and love God say about it? And then finally, what's it actually, if I follow through with this, what's it going to produce in my life? Is this going to be something good for me in the world or not? Well, it sounds like an accurate checklist. And again, Matt, proving you're the guy to turn to with the questions. I got one more if you're up for it. Sure. Uh, Jonathan asks this one. What's your go-to book for inspiration? I'm sorry. I'm not going to accept the Bible as an answer because it's too easy. Go-to book for inspiration. Wow, this is a hard one. So, Jonathan, I'm going to apologize because I'm not exactly going to answer your question. I am not, I love to read. I I typically read all sorts of different kinds of books. And there's not one book, I mean, other than the Bible, obviously, that I return to over and over and over again. I mean, there are some prayer books that I, I will go to, go back to. 
But I will say kind of where I look for inspiration and what kinds of books inspire me in my preaching, uh, especially a couple things. First, I read the news. I know that sounds maybe sad, but I really think like paying attention to what's going on in the world is constantly inspiring me about what it is that I need to tackle or say or celebrate or um, speak out against. So really, I, I do wake up every morning and I read the news. I try to read a really wide variety of books. It's important for me to get out of just the religion space and read about all sorts of different things. So I'll just give you a, a, a sense. My The last book I read was a book about Shakespeare in a divided America, what Shakespeare says about our divisions in our country today. It's kind of weird, not religious, but really helpful. Uh, I'm currently reading a book about James Baldwin. If any of you know who James Baldwin is, the uh, playwright, author, poet, activist from the 50s and 60s. Uh, it's uh, it's inspiring. So I really try to read kind of a wide variety of stuff uh, to inspire my preaching, my messages. Obviously, the Bible I return to over and over again. There's a few classics that I will, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis is one of those classics that I'll pick up and thumb through and remind myself of certain things. Uh, but that's kind of where I get inspiration. Uh, John, are you a reader? What about you? Do you have books that you go to for inspiration? Um, I'm not a big reader. I'm more of the electronic age, but when I do and I'll go on a binge and read like eight books at a time and then not read again for a year. I'm a big, um, food book guy. I mean, I will sit and it sounds weird, but I will sit and read cookbooks. Uh, but I like I like the food type writers. Ruth Reichel is one of my favorites. Uh, Peter Mayle, who wrote a year in Provence, um, just books that, that share a culinary experience in some corner of the world seem to hold me the most. I love to cook. So the, that sounds fun to me. Well, thank you everyone who asked questions. If you asked one and we didn't get to it today, we will get to it again. You can email your questions or comments or anything. Really John and I'll read them at the F word at gathering You can also hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, just search Matt Miofsky. We would love to hear from you. Uh, but now, John, uh, after the break, we're going to interview an author, Carol Howard Merritt, who wrote a book about uh, really stories of people who've been hurt by the church and yet found their way back to God. I think it's such an important topic. Uh, that is coming up just after the break. This is The F Word, Conversations on Faith on the Big 550 KTRS. At The Gathering, we believe that we as people were built for connection. And in this current season, it's never been more important to be and feel a part of something. You can experience that sense of belonging in several ways at The Gathering. Simply visit gatheringnow.org to explore what The Gathering has to offer. You might start by joining us for weekly worship, both live stream and on demand, and then join one of our Facebook groups to stay connected. There's one for each location and even for our online community. At The Gathering, once here, we will encourage you to deepen your faith further and join a core group to learn and grow alongside others. No matter who you are or where you've been, we invite you to meet new people and explore your faith, whatever that means for you. After all, it's through connecting with others that God has revealed to us. The best first step you can take is joining us for worship on Sunday. Again, you can find all the information on how to connect to The Gathering by visiting gatheringnow.org. We have multiple services on Sunday, and you can also catch us on demand anytime throughout the week. 
We hope you'll join us soon. Welcome back to the F Word Conversations on Faith. I'm Pastor Matt Miofsky. Just a quick reminder, don't forget, you can reach out to us. You can email me questions. I would love to hear from you. And I am answering a few of those at the beginning of each episode. It's the F Word at GatheringNow.org. So uh, please reach out to me. Now, my guest today is a pastor, a writer, a speaker, Reverend Carol Howard Merritt, her early work focused on how the church can speak to new generations of people, but more recently, she's written about people who've been hurt by the church. And uh, her latest book, Healing Spiritual Wounds, is a kind of part memoir mixed with stories about how people have reconnected with God after these kind of hurtful experiences. But uh, Carol, welcome to the show. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me on, Matt. Yeah, this is a topic really close to my heart because as a pastor, a lot of what we do at the gathering, I was telling you this before is, um, is speak to people who have been hurt by the church in the past. Uh, a lot of what you write about, and it's just really close to my heart to see people get reconnected to God, even after they've gone through a really hurtful experience. It's a, it's a powerful thing. So I was excited to have this conversation But I wanted to start actually a little closer to home. I mean, you and I share being pastors. We've heard these kind of stories about people who've been hurt by the church. But this is also personal for you. You were pretty open in the book about your own kind of sometimes traumatic church upbringing. So can we start with you and a little bit about your story and what life in the church was like for you growing up? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I kind of like tell all my family's dirty laundry in this book. (laughs) I just spread it out. Um, But yeah, what I grew up in a Baptist church and I um, both found it my greatest joy and I loved being there and I really kind of blossomed there. But at the same time, I also had this call to ministry And I didn't really know what to do with it because women weren't allowed to be pastors. In fact, we weren't really allowed to be even Sunday school teachers for anybody but children. And so, you know, I didn't know what to do with that. And add to that, um, I grew up in a very violent home and, um, within our church, my, my, uh, my church, really saw the husband, the man as the head of the household. And, um, and they really encouraged my mom to stay in the marriage, even with the violence. And I remember reaching out to my pastor and reaching out to different people in church. And um, this is where the church hurt really came in because, Uh, They would constantly either, you know, say it was my fault or say that if I was just more obedient, then then he wouldn't have to hurt us. Or or they would tell me that it was just my cross to bear. And so all of these things, you know, I I just kind of held them and um, to adulthood and it was really difficult to um, to be able to have like a healthy, flourishing spiritual life with all of this baggage. And so 
Um, it, it actually started when my father began dying and he had like a, a really long drawn out process when he was dying. And so I just began writing about this and trying to sort it out, you know, with therapy and prayer and spiritual direction and, you know, all the tools I had available to me. Um, and, and part of that for me is writing it down on paper. And so, um, so I eventually moved from being a very conservative Southern Baptist to becoming a Presbyterian minister and, um, and, and found that healing, not completely, it like still comes up, but, um, but, you know, I tried to share that journey. Yeah. I want to ask you just a, a little bit about that kind of turning point for you and uh, you after you know high school you decided to attend Moody Bible Institute in Chicago it's a i mean for people who don't know the school you could talk a little bit about it and but at some point you started to question or rethink and eventually reject a lot of what you had grown up with the sort of faith you had grown up with can you talk a little bit about was there a moment for you that was a turning point was it a slow process of turning away from that and towards something else uh, talk a little bit about when that that shift really happened for you. You know, it was a lot of things. It was a lot of uh, uh, um, little things that would happen over and over again. Um, times when I felt a particular calling and I knew that I wasn't able to really live into what God was created me to be. Um, there is this one thing that happened and I, I wrote about it like in the last chapter and I wrote about this before kind of the whole me too movement and everything. And so I felt really funny about writing about it, but I just remember one of the major things that happened was I was walking down the street in Chicago and a man came up to me and assaulted me and um, sexually assaulted me. And like I was carrying a bag and a book bag and I threw them down and I like put my middle finger up in the air and I started, you know, spouting off, screaming this stream of F words. And I turned around and I saw like, Moody Bible Institute oh. right there, you know, and I just remember like, you know, being incredibly ashamed and embarrassed and, and, um, and I was afraid that I was going to get kicked out. I was a senior. I had made it through, you know, it was incredibly difficult for me, but I had made it through. And I just remember like, being so afraid because if anybody had seen me, you know, flipping somebody off and screaming at them, then I would have gotten kicked out. And I just went back to my dorm room and just thought, wow, this is really, really messed up. You know, I was just assaulted and 
I'm worried that I'm going to get kicked out of school because I had a perfectly natural response to that. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, on top of the calling and on top of being very limited and, and who I was supposed to be, just knowing that that was another instance of how the religion I was in was expecting me to carry abuse around with me and expecting me to live through it and expecting me to, um, to, you know, not react in anger and frustration, um, really opened my eyes. Yeah. I, I'm struck in, in listening to that, um, that so many people share an experience of being hurt by the church, not really because of anything that they've done, but simply because of who they are. And, and I'm thinking in particular about women and LGBTQ people. I mean, you write about both in your book. But I mean, you had to navigate not only a, a renewed commitment to the church, but a call to ministry in the midst of a church that did not welcome or even allow such a call. And I'm just wondering over the years, if you can talk about the particular hurt that many women have and do experience in the church, because I I think that we, we don't talk enough about, about this and, and your story begins to get at it. Yeah. It's a particular sort of shame, you know, I don't know, Brene Brown has kind of uh, made, made it, popular, but this idea that guilt is sort of something that we feel bad about doing. Um, But shame is when we take that guilt and we internalize it and it becomes kind of feeling bad about who we are. And I feel like um, many times in these particular situations, you know, there's such a link with religion and um, misogyny or religion and white supremacy or religion and homophobia. And people who grow up in that um, often begin to internalize that hatred and have this sense of, um, you know, instead of celebrating the fullness of who they are and what God created them to be, they get this sense that they should be bearing the shame for that. And, um, you know, I, I think it's just a particular devastating thing that American religion has um, really perpetrated and it's coming to light more and more, uh, you know, in the last decades. And I think in order for us to move forward, we're going to have to do something about that. We're going to have to to change. Um, But it's a feeling of um, a lot of internalized shame, fear, hatred against yourself when you grow up in these environments because you believe that um, you're wrong and you're bad just because of who you are. And uh, that's 
sad. <laughs> I think well, back on and, 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 little Carol, and I think <laughs> that's so sad for well, people who have had to go through this. Absolutely, you know? and and you had to. I mean, you're a pastor now. I just watched one of your sermons from this past weekend. Uh, you preaching in your church, I and. Mean, for people who haven't experienced the kind of church you grew up in, that is a radical shift. So what yeah. did p- people you grew up with, people from Moody think when they heard, uh, oh, I'm going to go to seminary and I'm actually going to be a pastor. That's what I want to do. Cause this was not allowed, right? Oh no, not at all. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting. I think in a lot of, uh, uh, in a lot of schools like Moody, um, which is a very fundamentalist college, um, there there are different layers to it. So, you know, you might like see a Moody student and think every Moody student's the same sort of person, but you know, within that institution, there are people who are really struggling with it. There are people who are gay and lesbian and, and don't know what to do with that. There are people who, um, who believe it a hundred percent and they're, you know, they're totally for it. Uh, so people have responded accordingly, you know, those people who really were into Moody and loved it and, and never went through any sort of disillusionment. Um, uh, stopped talking to me when I went to um, seminary and they quit answering my emails and letters. And the people who are kind of questioning it all along are still my wonderful lifelong friends who I find incredible support from. But I think that's one of the most devastating and damaging things about moving from fundamentalist religion or evangelicalism or, um, you know, to uh, something else is because there is this system of shunning involved. And I mean, it can be your son or your daughter. It can be your best friend. But sometimes you'll be shunned by these people that you were, you know, so... So in such deep communion and community with, and um, so that's really difficult for a lot of people. Um, I think, you know, as a Presbyterian minister, that people look at, or, you know, people who have been in these um, uh, denominational churches, progressive denominational churches for a long time, they kind of look at the ex-evangelical crowd and they just don't know what all the drama is about. But, um, but it can just, it can be devastating because you're not just moving from one church to the next. You're losing your family. You're losing, losing your best friends. You're losing your community. And, um, and it's, it's just hard. Yeah, I, I think that's so important, especially for listeners who are thinking, you know, I didn't grow up in a church like this. I don't really get what all the you know hand wringing is about. Why didn't you just leave the right. church? Uh, it's more than just a church that you happen to attend. I mean, it's it's a whole it's a whole culture that you're brought up in, and 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 I'm thinking back. You know, I grew up in a, a small town. I did not grow up in a fundamentalist church, but I grew up around a, a lot 
of those churches and got invited to youth group and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, got saved a million times at these youth groups. And yeah. what always stuck out to me is um, in those conservative churches in my upbringing, th- there was almost like this uh, preoccupation with a pretty small range of perceived sins, mostly around personal morality, you know, don't drink, sex, gender. And mm-hmm. I rarely heard about other kinds of concerns, you know, concerns for the poor, materialism, care for the planet, generosity, you know, serving people on the margins. I, I'm just curious, why is it, do you think that certain churches are just so hyper obsessed with this rather narrow range of sins? Yeah, it's so interesting. Like, if you would have asked me, you know, in high school what Christianity was about, I would have been like, not drinking, not having right. sex. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, that's it. Yeah, really but, preoccupied um, with those two things, right? And, and then yeah. especially, you know, weird about issues of gender and sex. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's really strange. I, I, you know, reading Julian of Norwich has helped me with this. I just, um, I just finished a, a little devotional on her, and she talks about sin. So, if, for those of you who don't know her, she was a mystic, and she, um, she wrote during the Black Death, um, the plague, and about a quarter of her village died and so um and so she was cloistered and she was writing in the midst of this and um so she's she's talking a lot about things that um have particular resonance so she's talking about suffering and evil and sin and um one thing that she says is like sin has no being like can't see sin, but she had vision too. And, you know, she would say, well, that she couldn't see sin, but she knew what sin was because of the results of it. And that was just like so profound for me because growing up, you know, in these environments and, and, you know, at Moody Bible Institute, we had a rule book that was like one inch thick and they tried to name every single thing you could do wrong. Like that was, you know, and, and, you know, I always joke with my husband because they added a few rules just for him. (laughs) Like, well, oh, we didn't think of that one. Yeah, yeah, human <laughs> beings are, are creative rule. on this front, right? Yeah, we can always come right. up with some new sin. Exactly. So, you know, it's like they wanted that sin to have some sort of substance. And, um, and you know, it, and but Julian says, well, you, you can't identify sin. You can only talk about its effects. So yeah. if it is something that harms you, if it's something that harms me, then we know it's sin. If it's something that harms the earth, then we know it's sin. But this idea that you can have a list of sins, you know, is uh, just so contrary to, to her thinking. And it just, 
was just so profound thinking of it in that manner. You well, know, I, if, if it harms you or your, yourself or your neighbor, then it's sin. But it's, I mean, it, it's a, uh... It's such an important point because I think it's not a mistake that oftentimes people who don't go to church might be listening to this. They so often think of Christianity or faith or church as, uh, you know, a place that that wants to tell you a bunch of things that you're not supposed to do. We're known more by what we're against or what we think is wrong than what we imagine or envision for the world or what God uh, sees for people. And it's such a it's such a distortion really of Jesus and it's such a, uh, a hurdle now that the church has to overcome churches like yours and, and mine who are trying to speak to a different a vision for Christianity. And I kind of want to turn to that because despite these really uh, hurtful, traumatic experiences as a kid, d- despite um, th- this environment that you experienced in some ways at Moody through s- some of the people um, you did what a lot of people don't do. You kind of stuck with faith and you stuck with God and you stuck with Christianity and even quote unquote organized religion. I mean, you're a pastor now. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of people, they get burned by the church and they are done. And y- you you didn't. You, you were burned by your church and some people in the church, but you maintained this connection to God and to faith. Can you talk a little bit about um, how that looked for you? How, how were you able to distinguish between particular things that a particular set of Christians were doing and, and, and the larger, um, the, the larger church and, and a God that you clearly continue to be devoted to? Yeah, it's funny. Um, when I was first blogging, uh, you know, this was around like Hawkins and and Hitchens time when new atheism became pretty popular. And so I would, I would read these atheist blogs and, um, and, you know, a lot of them were feeling the same sort of frustration that I was feeling. And I remember this one woman writing on this blog, you know, well, when 9-11 happened, I backslid a little bit and I had to go to church. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's me. You know, that's just so me. You know, um, it, it just, it's just something I'm sort of wired for. You know, I think if I did leave church, I'd be one of these annoying people who can't stop talking about church, you know, I I would still be like talking about it all the time. Um, uh, So, so I, I think it's just the way that I'm wired and the way that, um, that I'm, uh, situated in the world. I don't know. My, my father was an engineer. And so I would have to like grasp things for him to, in order to say, you know, I want to borrow the car on Fridays, you know, I have to like, I would have to prove it mathematically somehow. And I think there are just certain people who are wired certain ways and I am wired for, this, I'm 
I'm, I'm just, I'm just wired this way. I don't know why, you know, but, but I've always, um, when I'm angry at God, I'm angry at God. And, you know, I'm, I'm through my disappointments, my angers, and my flourishing, I've always been connected somehow. So I want to I want to turn just for a little bit to people who might be listening, who've been hurt by the church, who've had a bad experience, have been burned by the church in the past. I mean, you wrote this book, Healing Spiritual Wounds, and you tell a lot of stories. I mean, you do talk about yourself in it, but you tell the stories about a lot of other people who've been hurt by the church. Um, mm-hmm. As you think back on those stories, I mean, there are, even for you, were there surprises for you in ways that the church has, has hurt people? I mean, there are particular stories that just really stick out to you. Because um, I think a lot of people think they're the only ones or they feel alone in the ways that they've been rejected. But I just found some of the portraits and stories that you tell about real people powerful. Do do any come to mind? Is, is it even surprising you? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I, I want to backtrack a little bit and say that if you are somebody who can't go to church, that's okay. You know, there's some people I've met who just cannot go back to church and God understands that it's not, you know, I, I think, um, you know, and, and if you're not able to reconnect, I, I think that's a perfectly valid, um, way of being. Um, and that connects with your question because, yeah, I've heard some awful stories, and right now, and I'm in the midst of um, doing a lot of work with uh, clergy abuse, sexual abuse in our denomination, and um, and you know, there's there are just unspeakable things that people have gone through. Um, and it's part of the reason why I like being Presbyterian because, or being part of a denominational system, because we do have some checks and balances and we do have ways of um, holding ministers accountable and making sure that they're not in ministry when they've done horrific things. Um, but it's also, um, incredibly disheartening because it still happens in in our denomination even when there are as many checks and balances in place so i think you know particular particularly stories of pedophilia are or stories of um people who are, are intellectually disabled who have been um taken advantage of by pastors or or church um church leaders those still stun me every time i'm imagining there are some you know who might be listening who are beginning to think maybe i'm maybe i'm in a in a church that's not healthy for me and and they've been either afraid to name it as such or felt bad about that i mean 
What advice do you have for people who, you know, who are in a church that maybe they, they think this is not healthy for me, but because of guilt or obligation or because they think it's their duty before God or something, they, they keep sticking with it. I mean, just w- what words do you have to offer people who, who might be in that position or are wondering if they're in an unhealthy relationship with a, a church? Uh, just speak to those people for a minute. Yeah, it's, very difficult. I mean, like we said, oftentimes you're leaving your family, you're leaving your friends, you're leaving your community, and um, there is that shunning that happens and takes place where you feel completely deserted. And so it's difficult to understand what to do. And sometimes you don't know, you know, if you could be a force for good, you know, maybe you could change things. Maybe you could make them different. Maybe you can change things with, from within. Um, so it's really, really hard to figure out whether to release the church or not. Um, I know I I worked through, as I was writing Healing Spiritual Wounds, I worked through a book by Desmond and Mafo Chuchu, and it's called The Book of Forgiving. And, um, you know, of course, they worked in uh, South Africa, The Truth and Reconciliation. And I know that forgiving forgiveness is often another F word when we come to spiritual trauma because it's often used by religious leaders to say, you know, let's, let's put this behind us. Let's not, let's act like nothing happened and act like, you know, that there's no justice in this world. And it's, they often put the onus on um, uh, the victim to forgive quickly and move on quickly. But, but through these, uh, this process of forgiveness that Desmond Tutu lays out, it's uh, telling your story. It's, feeling your feelings, um, uh, you know, coming to a place where you're able to tell the story and forgive. And at the end of it, you have to figure out whether to reconcile or release. And, you know, you have to like look at that relationship and say, okay, if I stay in this relationship, will I be abused or contribute to abuse. And no no church is perfect. No organization is perfect. There's no utopia out there. Even, you know, you've started your own church. And I think a lot of people, like, start that process thinking they're going to, like, create the perfect church. Is it the perfect church? No, I tell people this in, in the very first uh, <laughs> event that we have for new people, that we are not a perfect church. Yeah, right? It just doesn't exist. No. And so oftentimes, you know, people have very valid reasons for staying in, in perfect churches. But if the congregation is abusing you, or if you are not able to be fully yourself, then there are churches that will celebrate your full humanity, whether you're gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual, whether you're 
a woman, a man, whether you're a person of color, whatever, whoever you are, you know, a person with, um, uh, you know, whatever it is, uh, someone who has disabilities, abilities, you know, God made you and you can find a place where you will flourish in your call and who God called you to be. Well, I tell people, I I think there's a lot of guilt associated with leaving a church, regardless of how bad it's been or, 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 and, and I tell people, you know, I think that, um, we go through life, and I, I do. I do think for followers of Christ, we're called to be in community with others. We're called to be in churches, but we, um, all of us, there are churches that are right for a certain season or wrong for a certain season, as the case may be. And then we can move. It is not a bad thing to move to a church that is a better fit for this season of life that you're in right now. And so, whatever the reason is, it is not a bad thing to leave a church. Um, it, right. it's not a guilt inducing thing to decide this just isn't the place, the right place for me anymore. Even if it's not overtly abusive or overtly discriminatory towards you, but just, you know, Hey, this is not a place I can really invite my friend. Or, I'm not sure that, that, um, this is a place that is, is shaping my kids in the way that I, I want them shaped. I'm having to undo this at home. I talk to parents all right. the time who have to go home and explain to their kids. Now we don't actually believe that women can't be in leadership. That's just what they say at church. <laughs> I mean, you know, that, that you don't have, you don't have to feel bad about saying, I think for this season of life, it's, it's time. And, and I want to, this that leads me to a question. I know we're running a little bit out of time, but what advice or words of encouragement do you have for people who are hurt by the church, but they, they don't want to lose or reject their faith. I mean, you, you spoke a little bit saying, you know, you give permission. There are just some people right now, they cannot go back to church. The harm has been too great Mm -hmm. or, and that I think you and, and, and I, we're not here to try to strong arm people back to church at your church or at mine. I think we are both at churches that open the door and say, you know, if just cause you've had a past bad experience of church, don't maybe don't give up or if you're not wanting to give up come and try this cuz you might find a different kind of church here but what words of encouragement do you have for people who have been hurt but they they don't want to let go of their faith yeah i think one of the main things that we have to do kind of the first step in this healing process is understand that um God did not want or cause that abuse. So many times when we're hurt in the church or hurt by a pastor, we have this sense that somehow God allowed it, God wanted it, God caused it, God, um, you know, because it's hard to see that pastor, we see that pastor or that church leader as, you know, kind of a stand-in for God in a lot of ways. And so if there's anything I can um, encourage people to do is try to untangle your idea of who God is from the abuse and know that the only role that God has in that moment is suffering with you. God is not with the person who is abusing you. God is there 
standing beside you, suffering with you, crying with you, holding you. And if you're able to do that, which is an incredibly difficult, long, and um, an arduous process, but if there is any way that you can separate that abuse from the God who loves you and the God who just wants to hold you and cry with you, then that is your first step to healing. And just understand and know that God loves you, all of you. Yeah, it, thank you for that. Um, we, we started talking about this a little bit, but there I always want people to know there are a lot of different kinds of Christian churches. <laughs> I mean, yeah. a lot. And I think sometimes we get a a caricature, a stereotype that every church looks the way our particularly bad church looked, you know, if we had a bad experience. And, and this maybe is going to sound obvious to some, but it's, it's an enormous discovery for others that, oh, you mean there's a place where I can be a pastor or you mean there's a place where I don't have to hide who I am. Or there's a place right. where gay people can teach in Sunday school or what, whatever it is. Um, you, you know, you grew up in what you describe as a fundamentalist church. You talked about kind of conservative evangelical churches, but they're not all created equal. Talk a little bit about, you know, there, there are more progressive Christian communities that exist and they've helped a lot of people find their faith again simply by showing that, hey, you can do church in a different way. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this funky thing has happened in American Christianity where you have sort of, um, and I'm sure your your church is probably an exception to this, but you, you have like these churches that are filled with like 80-year-olds and, you know, traditional music and, you know, you might walk in and think, oh my gosh, you know, these people are... And still in the 18th century, much less, you know, the 19th century. But you also have like these, so they're they're kind of culturally conservative, but they're incredibly theologically progressive. So you start talking to them and they'll be, you know, the 80-year-olds who, you know, were there at Selma or, you know, these people who have been on the forefront of every civil rights movement for the last 50 years. Um, and then on the flip side, oftentimes you can go into a church that feels like incredibly progressive culturally, you know, they, they have music and, you know, you know, the pastor's wearing jeans or whatever, you know, and, and so, so you think, that they are kind of socially progressive. And then you find out that like their theology is very um, regressive. And, and so it's, it's a really strange thing because people will consider, you know, the, the sort of fundamentalist church as, um, cutting edge and the church that's very theologically inclusive and or inclusive is not a great word, but 
theologically welcoming to LGBTQ people, and they may be full of like a bunch of eighty-year-olds who don't seem like they would be open and welcoming at all. So, so it's just a strange thing that's happening in American Christianity, but. You're absolutely right. There are a lot of churches who have been at the forefront of marriage equality, who have been fighting for trans rights, who have been um, absolutely, you know, open to all the ways that we love and are loved, and um, and they've been working for gender equality and women's rights. For, for decades and and so but oftentimes culturally they feel like you know you're walking into your grandma's living yeah. room well and and i think yeah and, and that's what I, I want people to know you know as you search around for churches if you are that kind of person you know don't be afraid to ask questions to get on the website to i mean i think it's important because there are churches that you can get into thinking oh, certainly they must think this, this, and this. And sometimes it can take a long time to uncover some of the uh, less savory beliefs that they actually hold. And I always tell people, whatever kind of church you go to, you should value, they should value transparency and being really upfront about telling you what it is they think about some issues or um, topics that are really important to you. And and don't be afraid to ask those questions because it's better to do that on the front end than on the back end, but there are a lot of churches. I mean, the gathering here in St. Louis is one of them that, um, that love Jesus rigorously, you know, want to study scripture and love the Bible and also, um, have, you know, have a more progressive understanding of who belongs in the church, who can lead in the church, and uh, those kind of churches do exist. The gathering is not alone in that. And, and there may be a church that is actually right for you, even after you've gotten burned by one in the past. But Carol, yep. thank you so much for being on. I mean, I could talk a, a, a lot longer about this because there's so many stories to tell that are important to tell. There's so many caveats. Uh the book is called Healing Spiritual Wounds, Reconnecting with a Loving God After Experiencing a Hurtful Church. Um, I invite you to pick it up if you're one of those people that maybe has experienced that or is going through it right now. It's, it's helpful. Uh, Carol, thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, thank you. I really appreciate uh, being here. And thank you all for listening today. It is great to have so many of you. And thank you for reaching out and letting us know that you've been listening to the show. Just a reminder, if you miss this, if you hear it and want to share it with a friend, all of these episodes, our podcast, it should be up right now every time it airs. So you can find our podcast by searching wherever you get your podcast. Just search the F word with Matt Miofsky, my name. It'll come up to see the logo. I would love it if you would subscribe. That helps us. And if you leave a review, even better. Just helps us get this out into the world a little bit more. Thank you all, though, so much for listening. This is the F Word Conversations on Faith. I'm your host, Matt Miofsky, and I will see you next week.